The Boarding Pass is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. It's not just sports, it includes theater, music, concerts as well. I'm here on a road trip in California right now. I was looking up one of my high school loved bands, Third Eye Blind. They've got a show, so Game Time's got you covered for that. That's a thought that I had in the back of my mind. It's just a, a quick, simple, easy to navigate system. Two taps and you're out. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome to a United States Thanksgiving edition of the Boarding Pass with the Winnipeg Jets on the road. They're 7-2-1 in their last 10 games. They've just come off a big win against the San Jose Sharks. There's a couple of more California games in their future. Back in Winnipeg, we've got the Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We've got a Moose team that's uh, that's speaking directly to Ken Weeb in terms of uh, Pascal Vincent doing the the one-on-one right with uh, with our man Ken Weeb. Ken, how are you today? I'm excellent, sir. Uh, we're going to tell our listeners right off the bat, Marat deserves uh, some bonus points here for battling through, uh, not at 100%, but uh, that's how we roll, and uh, we appreciate you battling through here. The voice has been in and out for, for parts of the day. Uh, I wish we could have done this first thing in the morning so the world could hear my Batman voice and it would have been all about, <laughs> you know, Patrick Laine has uh, scored. A, and it was, a, it was a really nice power play goal that he scored. But I wish I could commentate in Batman voice for the, for the world out there. Um, we're doing okay. Thanks for the, for the shout out, Ken. You promised me that it would be sunny and warm and brilliant here. And instead, I guess I'm a little <laughs> under the weather and we're, we're dealing with some rains here in California. It'll be okay. Uh, and, and the Jets' performance so far has, uh, has been at least something to cheer for for, for Winnipeg fans. Um, that power play is back to normal. <laughs> it's back to 2017-18 sort of setup. And all of a sudden, there's a seam pass open for Patrick Liney from Blake <laughs> Wheeler. I believe it was the first version of that goal so far this season. And a positive step. And I, I, the, the crazy thing about it, I think, is that San Jose, despite being such an excellent penalty-killing team, chased Neil Pionk up to the top of the zone, left some space in front of Mark Shifley and Patrick Liney. And Blake Wheeler um, was was ready to to sort of make that that feed pass across there uh ken you spoke to blake about his milestone point production his 600th point with the winnipeg jets not too long ago and you wrote about that as well so i wanted to ask you about that today you know you've covered this guy for a very 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 long uh time here with the jets and um he he stayed after the game and shared some words with you about his, his first points and things like that what did he have to say to you yeah, it was interesting, Murad. I mean, you and I sort of waited out the crowd there on uh, Saturday night, and we know earlier in the in the in the scrum version of the interview process, uh, Blake was quite forthright in saying, uh, "I've got a lot of points, and it hasn't translated into a lot of wins, so I don't really care about that." Uh, for all of the folks that have been uh, talking about his diminished point totals uh, early in the season, but yeah, Blake was quite reflective. Uh, with both of us, uh, when I asked him about that first point, uh, 
Uh, he said, you mean with the Jets? He said, no, no, uh, you know, after the trade. I mean, you, you know, you get traded from the Boston Bruins. You show up in Atlanta. I mean, what do you remember with that first point? And, and he he looked back into the crystal ball and uh, instead of it being uh, almost a decade ago, he was recalling it like it had just happened last week. And he described the play perfectly about the touch that he had and how Andrew Ladd went to the net and jammed it home. But there was Dustin Bufflin barreling in and trying to get his stick on it. And he said, as they were going for the group hug after the goal, he said, Bufflin and Ladd are yelling at each other saying, no, no, I got it. No, I got it. No, I got it. F you, I got it. <laughs> and uh, Blake was sitting there going, oh, this is interesting. Uh, he said that was just kind of like the first uh, the first glimpse of of the character that is Dustin Bufflin. And I mean, obviously him and Andrew Ladd uh, developed a very good friendship relationship as line mates, as teammates, as good buddies uh, over the years as well. So I uh, would just, just the total recall from Blake. I mean, he's a guy that, uh, we know he's a bright guy. We know he's an intense guy, but, uh, and he's a guy who doesn't care about personal stats, but he, he does have basically a photographic memory and the emotional part came afterward. And I'd asked him about it several times and uh, for different various stories, but I mean, it was very hard for Blake to miss out on that 2011 Stanley Cup. I mean, here's a guy who comes into the league, a high draft pick, uh, signs as a free, you know, you know, shakes up the system to a degree, signing as a college free agent, goes to Boston, has a big start, and then all of a sudden finds himself kind of landlocked on the third line, and he gets traded to the Atlanta Thrashers and becomes a first-line player. The sacrifice meant that he missed out on the Stanley Cup in that deal for Rich Peverly, but his career really took off, and He's spoken about it with both of us at various times about how how thankful he is to the organization for give, giving him that opportunity and, and allowing him to blossom into uh, a power forward, but a skilled power forward, uh, not someone who had to be the next Cam Neely, if you will. Uh, he's never used those words, but I mean, when you're in a six foot five frame and you skate like Blake, uh, there was a bit of an expectation around Boston that he would be a more physical guy. And Blake's a guy who's learned to use his body, not not only in terms of puck protection and driving to the net, but there have been times when he hasn't been producing that he's used the the big hit to get himself going and to keep himself in the game and to, to contribute in other ways. So uh, it's been a I mean it's been a big big move for him and he's embraced the city. The city has embraced him and uh, I mean 600 points with one organization is a pretty impressive milestone in a, in a career that's sort of been win full of them and. Uh, let's let's take that right back to the power play, Murad. I mean, you were inside the building, and I mean, in those four observations that I wrote about after that last uh, stretch on Saturday night, one of my suggestions, I'm not taking any credit for it, but I felt like it was time for Paul Maurice to put the band back together and that it wasn't working. Uh, the premise behind wanting to have two equal units, that was a great premise, but it wasn't happening for the Jets for whatever reason. I felt that it was time to go back to them, and you know, now Blake is is a little bit more confident. I mean, early in the year, he talked about all the posts and crossbars that he hit, and he wasn't moving the puck as quickly as we're used to seeing. And sure enough, they put that grouping back together, and it leads directly to a goal. I mean, and they had to open up that seam. I felt like early on, when Mark Scheifele had a good chance from the slot, that makes the defensive, you know, the penalty killers have to respect that. And sometimes that's what opens up that seam play. And and Lina had gotten too stagnant 
in the other in the other version or variation of the power play as well. So he had to get himself moving. He found the seam, got his feet moving, and sure enough, he, he buries the buries the one timer like we've seen so many times. I mean, the craziest thing to me is that Line has seven goals on the year, and only two of them have been on the power play. Uh, I would not have taken that that over under going into the year. But what do you think of the way that the the reconstructed units uh, moved the puck yesterday? You know the the biggest thing, and and I had a conversation again, sort of staying out after the scrum and, and talking to Blake Wheeler about this after uh, after the game was done. The biggest thing on that play to me was just the degree to which either of Mark Scheifele or Patrick Liney could have buried a goal on the one that Liney got. Um, it, Blake Wheeler was describing that. Uh, he'd sort of beat his man outside of the corner. Pionk made a good play. Apparently, Peeler is the nickname they're going by there. I didn't know if you want for Neil Pionk. It's not Pionker oh. or P- yeah, it's it's Peeler, <laughs> um, is what I, what I learned last night. Um, and so we credited him for the play and for sort of drawing a defender. And um, for me, I was just surprised that um, with what we know about this particular look for Winnipeg's power play that uh, Sharks chased as high as they did and opened that up. So Winnipeg made them pay. And I think that, uh, you know, if teams uh, if teams have gotten used to the new look Winnipeg power play, the ones that we've seen in a couple of different units for a little while, maybe there's a little bit of a benefit here to having mixed it up because all of a sudden it looked like they were ready for something else. And this is a very good San Jose Sharks pa- penalty kill that's had a lot of success, leaving some very, very dangerous weapons open. Um, and that's one of the things that... You know, even if you always knew that they were never going to come, they were never going to make the two units thing their permanent rotation, there might be some benefit to that every now and again, or if not splitting it, at least coming up with a couple of different looks as the Jets have tried on the top power play unit as well, just so that every once in a while defenses are, are still caught a little bit unawares or there's a, a few different seams that they might have to consider on the ice to make that mistake and, and to be forced into st- and stretched into that way. That was something I was definitely impressed by is, is just how much room there was. And I was kind of commenting to that to, to Blake Wheeler, like why you know, we know how you look, I think is how I, how I phrase it. So what exactly had happened there? And he, he credited Pionk for his individual play and he credited the team for having mixed it up as well. Maybe, uh, maybe San Jose had prepared for a different version or the previous version, um, but, but who's to say? As long as those seams are open and as long as passes get across to Patrick Line, I think it'll be a deadly look for, for the Winnipeg Jets. The other reminder, too, I think, Marat, for that splitting of the units is that, yes, the Jets' leading goal scorer is on the second unit, so maybe don't try to stay out there for 145. And even dating back to last year, remember there was that stretch where the second power play unit had got on a bit of a roll with the parole grouping and, and those guys going, and they knew they wouldn't get much time, but when they were getting that time, they were trying to trying to contribute there as well, so... It'll be interesting to see how it goes moving forward. And I think the other part of changing it back was I didn't find that Nikolai Ehlers had been as involved on that second unit in his new positioning. I think it it has looked good for Kyle Connor on the half wall, but I don't think that Nikolai Ehlers has been as comfortable in that Paul Stastny spot down low. And I didn't feel like he was he was contributing as much to that second power play unit as he had been uh, earlier in the year when he was used more on the umbrella. So I think that that was the other reason for me. I think that it made sense to to kind of go back to to the original premise. 
And how about the other special teams uh, kind of leading to, to some success as well with the, with the Cop-Lowry forward pairing uh, up front? Um, I mean, Anthony Batetto drew into the lineup and, and partnered with Lucas Pisa as a first PK uh, defensive unit. And one of the things that they really had a lot of success with last night was just being sharp up the ice with, uh, you know, Cop usually, I believe, plays a little bit higher on the PK than Lowry and sort of chasing uh, other teams' attempts at zone entries. And that's something I think that they, they spoke about a little bit today. Uh, Adam Lowry was talking with us uh, reporters here um, today about the success that they've had with that. And he called it a confidence thing. He called it, you know, not that the system had changed earlier on in the season, but maybe some of the reads weren't as fast as they used to be. And maybe um, it took a little bit while for that to get going. It's actually almost night and day October and November for the Winnipeg Jets in terms of how shot, how many shots per minute they've given up on the PK. Um, the improvement has come from about the first week of uh, of November and all of a sudden they're actually in the top half in terms of not allowing that many shots per minute on the PK. That's something to look forward to. That, that might be meaningful reason to believe that they're going to climb out of the basement of the penalty kill. The amount of shots and quality shots seems to be going down. To me, Ken, it's about how many minutes Cop uh, and Lowry play and how dialed in they are and maybe a little bit about how uh, players like Mark Latestu and, and Gabriel Bork didn't necessarily have that instant success either, and um, some of the some of the roles going back to last year's Winnipeg Jets up front have, have have been more successful up front. But what have you seen from the PK that's maybe led to a slight uptick? We'll call it not a not a complete fix, but a slight uptick in this group. Yeah, I mean, and we would have said it was a it was a it was an even further success in terms of the uptick were it not for that uh, Saturday night special against. Uh, Columbus that the Jets had to kind of overcome, if you will. Uh, definitely, I think that the the penalty kill is doing all of those things that you mentioned. And the other big thing for me is having brought over Lucas Spiza in that waiver claim, it has it's brought two elements. A, getting into the shot lanes and blocking a few more shots. And B, doing a better job of clearing out the front of the net. The Jets were not very good in that area early on in the season, but for me, the biggest thing is the Cop and Lowry reconnection. We know that was sort of predicated on Brian Little's return, but since Little checked back out of the lineup, Paul Maurice has kept those two guys together, which instead of a spreading of the wealth, if you will, having them back together, A, at 5-1-5, and B, on the penalty kill, I think has been a massive development for the Jets here as they've got themselves going uh, in the month of November for sure. And obviously Connor Hellebuck is uh, is making a lot of saves. And <laughs> when the goalie always has to be the best penalty killer on a team, and he's certainly taking care of uh, his his part of those duties. Uh, and they're also seeing other guys, you know, Kyle Connor getting more comfortable on the penalty kill. And, you know, I think eventually we're going to see uh, David Gustafson get involved in that. It may not be, may not be this year, may not be this month, but uh, I think he's going to be a guy that, uh, really, you know, does a good job in that role as they move along and moving forward. And that's my attempt at a segue to a moment <laughs> that you saw live last night. I mean, we have, we've been wondering when the fourth line might get itself going. I mean, there have been some glimpses uh, of late, but for the most part, their numbers have not been good. Uh, on a bit of a long shift yesterday, uh, David Gustafson picks up the puck, uh, shows some confidence, blows by a guy that he grew up uh, watching quite a lot. And 
he lets a wrister go that obviously Aaron Dell would like back. But lo and behold, uh, the funny part for me was the reaction. I mean, Gustafson seemed like he was the last guy to to see the puck <laughs> go into the net. Uh, then he did. He raised his arms in celebration like you would expect. But uh, uh, what was it like to see Gustafson have that moment and to sort of see him share some of that joy uh, afterward in the game and in, in a year that has already been very exciting for him but I mean that's a moment every kid dreams of growing up yeah the funny thing is he said he didn't see the puck go and he wasn't sure but he he heard the sound in the arena change and then he heard his teammates cheering and then that's when he says he knew that he'd scored his first NHL goal and coming up the ice uh, he originally thought maybe he, he would just get it out to a clear space and then dump it but he, he saw he had room around quote-unquote the defenseman who just happened to be Eric Carlson yeah. a, a guy that I'm sure that he's got a, a ton of respect and adver- admiration for makes the move around him and then goes in and takes the shot that um, you know ends up going top corner even if Aaron Dell would have wanted it back it was a sensational play and the thing about uh, Gustafson is just the amount of joy that he shows and it, you know he was he was talking with his hands in the scrum afterwards and I think yeah. he he nicked Scott Billick's cell phone a little bit or his, his recorder that he was holding in his hand um, just because he was so excited and, and and 19 and enjoying the fact that he scored his first ever NHL goal um, it, it's special to see when you know th- there's so much ahead of him in his career, but at this exact moment, there's there's he's not jaded at all. He's got all of the like all of the emotions and honesty um, that you would uh, that you is really endearing in that moment, and and just smiling and laughing and and really soaking it in. I, I think that was a special night for him, and uh, you know on the fourth fourth line as well. Yona Luoto had pegged one off the bar earlier mm-hmm. in the game, and there was there was a little bit there, um, and, and there was the belief that maybe something would happen. Uh, I guess they were they they still spent a substantial amount of time in their own zone, but hey, good good for Gustafson. Uh, I, I guess it's coming up to a point where Winnipeg's gonna need some good health amongst its forwards if it wants to allow him to to go play in the World Juniors and and sort of take those next steps uh, that we anticipated for him. Um, if that is, in fact, what he goes on and and, and does. Um, I guess we're not too far away from Mason Appleton return to health and, and other things like that. So that, that might be a possibility for him. He could be an absolute star with that group uh, in terms of maybe being its number one or two center with, uh, with a lot of key roles. Um, and I know you've written to that effect as well. Yeah, I still uh, my my vote will still be uh, I don't have a vote, but my vote is to uh, for the Jets to allow him to play at the World Junior and then kind of decide from there. And I think that's it's going to be a twofold opportunity. I mean, we still we got an update for on Brian Little briefly, but we expected Palmer said he expected it to be at least longer than two or three weeks. So that would kind of take us to around the time where. Gustafson would probably be released to the national team if he is going to be. Uh, the other way to look at it is that it could provide the Jets an opportunity to perhaps recall uh, Jansen Harkins and and maybe even shift in uh, Andre Chibisov. Those two guys have been playing together with the Moose and having some incredible success on a line with Seth Griffith. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point there was a, uh, a sub in and out uh, before Appleton is back of, uh, you know, Luoto and, and Shaw for Harkins and Chibisov. But, I mean, that's just pure speculation on my behalf. But just knowing that those guys are playing well, 
uh, that, that would be something that, that could be a way to maybe try a different look on the fourth line. And, and obviously this has been a tough break for Mason Appleton because the door would have been wide open for him to not just take a role, but really flourish in a fourth line role. Uh, he's a guy that had a taste of the penalty kill last year. And at a time when the Jets were looking for answers and looking for different opportunities, uh, I think he would have maybe had an opportunity to 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 chip in on some special teams there as well. But uh, we know he's going to be working hard. And I mean, as you as you mentioned, I mean that that visual that we had uh, in Regina, in Regina, first of the disbelief, of the whole "What are you doing here?" when he when we opened the door yeah. in the elevator, and then there was Appleton standing there on crutches uh, with just an absolute look of horror on his face and. Uh, being the uh, you know <laughs> reporter that I am, trying to be friendly, uh, uh, the response to my uh, "Are you okay?" <laughs> question was no, <laughs> and that was it. So uh, <laughs> it was one of those moments where I'm sure that he had a lot of emotion going through his head, and uh, probably the last people he wanted to see at the time were uh, a group of nosy reporters making their way down, especially the group of nosy reporters who didn't actually see him suffer the. Uh, foot fracture in the uh, football game so uh, it'll be interesting to see how what goes on in that front and that kind of brings us to another uh, one of the young players I mean we talked about Wheeler's play overall but uh, how about the stretch of games for Jack Rozovic Marat I mean four points in his last five games uh, funny moment yesterday where he he randomly gets picked out of a scrum uh, where probably four penalties could have been called, and his was the least of the offensiveness in terms of the uh, scrum action. Uh, comes out of the box and cleans up the loose change and gets himself a goal. He has a has a penalty shot attempt where uh, he made a smart move, but it looked like his stick kind of got a little extra flex on it, and he just fired it wide when he had a low corner attempt there. But uh, what do you think of the stretch that he's had, uh, A, on his own, and B, uh, on that uh, constructed second line that has had so much success, both in terms of uh, actual production and underlying success. Well, it's a it's a year over year leap forward for Jack Roslovic to be sure. the The points are coming, the assertiveness is there, the the opportunity is there first and foremost, and it, it really seems on a lot of nights he's one of the, the key ingredients that makes that second line tick. Uh, what what a pass to Nick Ehlers the other day for that goal that he scored. Uh, and I think for me, the key with Jack Roslovic is especially offensively when he gets engaged with skilled players and he just decides to be assertive. And there's a, um, you know, he'll take his first opportunities. He'll make aggressive, uh, uh, aggressive cuts uh, to try to attack defenders and go one on one, open up space. He'll try to go through or around players and some of the passes in his teams that he's found. And uh, he set up Blake Wheeler for a goal the other day as well. I think that whole line has been a much-needed revelation for the Winnipeg Jets. Wheeler at center playing something like 17 minutes a game uh, as opposed to what we're used to from him uh, has to almost do that maybe just to keep up to the speed that a Jack Roslovic or a Nick Ehlers has. And I guess we always knew that eventually it was a matter of time that Roslovic would really blend in and find some offensive chemistry with uh, with players uh, on the Winnipeg Jets team, there's there's just so many good ones, and he's had experience doing that before. Uh, the issue for me has been um, whether or not he uh, would get that opportunity. Certainly, injuries open that up. And then the first opportunity that he got with Cop and Lowry on the checking line, despite being 
a, a smart two-way player, there wasn't really the the intensity or the commitment or the or the fit. Maybe we'll call it. I don't want to say why it happened, but it wasn't a lot of success in that role. And then all all of a sudden, he's just flying with a, a group of high-skilled players, making the passes that you'd want to see from a guy like that, and really showing you know that top six ceiling uh, or or top six promise that he would have. And, and talking to him, Ken, uh, a few times this year, it really seems to me that that's his ultimate goal and that's where he's happiest and where he sees himself on a contending team is as a top six forward moving forward, um, scoring points and, and, and producing that. And it seems to me that he's young enough to or, or just so conscious of what he wants to be on the ice that when he's not getting that role, it does kind of affect him personally. Or he, he does th- think about it or get a little bit intense about it. And I had that Q&A that went up and some of that would have come up uh, or, and come out in that as well. Um, but what do you think of the evolution of Jack Roslevic? Is this a new plateau or is this just opportunity? What's going on? Oh, I think he's just starting to blossom. I think there have been, certainly there have been signs over the years that, that he could become this player. We know there was a hat trick in a four-point game against Anaheim last year where A, the shot was on display and so was the skill, but it's having the confidence to make those cutbacks. I mean, he makes them look routine and make them look easy, but uh, to create and generate offense the way that he has and the way that defensemen have to now respect the fact that he can totally change his angle uh, A and be a threat to shoot or to pass and find someone through the seam or in the slot. I mean, it, it's totally changed the way that, that teams have to approach going up against him. And uh, we know he's a guy that that has a great shot and he needs to, he needs to use it more. It reminds me of Mark Shifley early in his career. I mean, Mark is still a pass for his player, but I mean, the first thing that you noticed about Mark Shifley when he arrived at, at a development camp in 2011 is that, I mean, it was almost hearsay to say it, but I mean, he has a Joe Sackick kind of type release and Rosovic has a very similar uh, quick shot that he can unload. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a huge weapon for him, and he he needs to use it more. And he's starting to do that more, and and having the confidence to become close to now a almost a half point a game player. And I mean, I think that Jack has the ability to become and blossom into a point a game player. I mean, the skill set is there. He's got the speed. Uh, he has the shot. All of those things. It's just a matter of of maybe when he forces his way onto that. I mean, he's been on the first power play unit at times, but I mean, down the road, I could see him becoming a, a point of game player. I mean, even this year, I think he could threaten to, to be in that, you know, 35 to 40, maybe even eclipse 40 points. But I mean, I think that when it comes to high end talent, I think that Jack Rosovic can be a, you know, more of a 60 to 80 point player uh, when he finally gets everything figured out and, and has that opportunity where he's playing closer to, you know, 18 to 20 minutes with, with some regularity. Well, that would be quite uh, quite the step forward for him. He's done it at various levels in the past, uh, absolutely, in, in college. And for the Moose as well, 35 points in 32 games the last time that he was a Moose for any stri- stretch of time. And really part of a dominant group there. Um, one of the players that I wanted to ask you about, because you spoke to Coach Pascal Vincent about him, was Christian Veselainen, and he's a guy that comes in with similar, uh, you know, high draft pick pedigree and an offensive background, and he hasn't quite hit. So a, a guy like Jack Roslovic comes in in his first full AHL season, he, he scores 48 points in 65 games, follows it up, and he, he's a point per game at 20 and, and 21 years old at the in the AHL level. 
the Christian Veslein is a little bit younger than that, a little bit behind that in terms of his development. So, but still, a lot of guys who go on a top six success in the NHL by roughly that twenty years old age are flirting with that point per game in the AHL level. He hasn't quite done that. But Coach uh, Pascal Vincent had said that he'd seen some nice things. And what's uh, what's going on there? What did, what insight was he able to share with you about Veselinen's progress and whether it has stalled or or hasn't stalled? Yeah, it was very interesting uh, that part of the discussion. I mean, obviously uh, with the free free Niku movement, uh, hashtag free Niku movement in full effect. I certainly <laughs> d- delved into well, how things were going with the other Finn, but uh, I was very interested to see or to hear Pascal's uh, you know uh, comments about him. Because we know that the point totals have not been there. They don't always tell the whole story. And uh, Pascal was quite forthcoming in saying about how much maturity Veselainen has been showing uh, in terms of things not going maybe as smoothly as you or I or he or Veselainen himself were probably uh, expecting coming into the year. I mean, he's still a young man, but he's played at the pro level for a long time. So... Uh, most of most of us expected him to be around that point per game level right out of the gate, to, given his skill set and shot, and uh, you know him being a high draft pick and all those things, and him starting last year with the Jets. Uh, so that has been a bit of a surprise, and it's odd that I mean, coming into the year, I mean, you and I both discussed this, and we were on opposite pages, but where you thought he would start at the American League and dominate, I I thought he was you know, responsible enough to, to maybe even earn himself a job with, with cop and Lowry. I mean, out of the gate, like it'd be a, you know, fourth liner maybe, but maybe even be, I mean, he's, he has the smarts and the skating ability to play with those guys down the road and, and bring that kind of more offensive element than maybe a Brandon Tanev would in terms of, you know, pure offense. Yes. He had 14 goals last year, but, but Tanev's more of a worker B than a, than a guy that is known as a shooter. So, uh, it's been interesting. I mean, Pascal is, is happy with how um, Veselainen has, is developing in terms of his maturity level, in terms of how he views the game. Self-evaluation is a word that he used. Um, and he talked about how it was important for Veselainen not just to be using his shot more as he has been doing, but to know that in a game where you might have two goals, but a, a toe drag or a backhand sauce through the neutral zone you might have five chances against because of your play as well that you know you need to work on some of those other things. And he said he really has been flourishing in, in, in that overtime situation or in 4-4 four and four play. When he has that extra room out there, he's really dominant because he's a guy that that is a strong guy. He's a good skater. He's played at the pro level, but he's used to playing, playing in Finland where he has a little bit more room, a little bit more time, a little more space. So... Uh, I know that, that some folks uh, who follow the Jets and their prospects are a little bit concerned that uh, it hasn't maybe been as smoothly offensively, but I think it's uh, it's far too early to uh, push the panic button. And, I mean, this would not be a surprise. I mean, there were folks pushing the panic button, A, about Mark Shifley, and B, about Josh Morrissey at, at various points before they actually got to the NHL level as well. So uh, I think that Veselainen knows he can play better, but I think there are probably been some signs that are important to him and and at the end of the day I mean uh, I think a lot of this catching up in terms of the North American game I think can be related to the uncertainty is not the right word but with last year with all of the movement with starting in the NHL being in the American League going back to Yokerit 
uh, not going to the World Junior. I think that the bouncing around last year obviously hurt Christian Veselin. And yes, good on him for coming back to the Moose at the end of last year and wanting to finish the year strong uh, and all of those things. Uh, I think that had he stayed over in North America, his development probably would be a little bit advanced. And again, I can completely understand why he went back home. And as someone who grew up in Finland, I know that Jokerit is an important uh, you know, it's a, it's an institution. So for the opportunity at that age to play for um, that team, I, I totally understand the allure and all of those things that go along with it. But uh, I think if he had stayed in North America for the year, had he gone to the World Junior and experienced that, uh, I mean, unbelievable opportunity with Finland, uh, I think he would probably be, uh, you know, a little bit closer to knocking on the door of becoming a regular. Having said that, no one could have predicted a car accident in the preseason, and that probably set him back a little bit as well. And uh, what I'm trying to say is that he is the kind of guy that I expect to figure it out. I think he's still a, a solid prospect, and I think that, uh, I mean, it, it won't be overly long before he, we see him with the Jets, uh, even if that means uh, start of next year or whatever else. But I wouldn't, based on what we've seen on the fourth line this year so far, I would not rule out an opportunity uh, for Veselainen at some point here before this season is over as well. And then it'll be up to him to see what he does with it. Ken, as far as panic buttons go, got to ask you real quick, Sammy Niku is a player that you did talk to Pascal Vincent yep. about. And every time something happens to a defenseman at the NHL level, uh, we get the, the free Niku movement gets into into high gear. Um, I certainly believe that as long as he creates more than he gives up, there's there's a lot there. And we've we've both written different uh we've both written on him in, in recent times as well, and he's a hot topic uh in uh, Winnipeg Jets land right now. We're coming up towards sort of the end of our our, our allotted time, yeah. so we might have to do this uh, in, in the extended version for athletic subscribers. Uh, but in a word or two, what can what can you share about insights on Niku, who I know you asked about, and you asked uh, Coach Pascal Vincent some very good questions. Yeah, obviously it sounds like Niku has been playing well for the most part, and my my favorite line of the discussion was. Uh, the challenge for him right now is to not get bored when he plays. I mean, that's... That is such a good line. Just a classic, but it, it is applicable because... And he's talking about when it comes to his offensive game. Uh, when Sammy plays at the American League level, uh, he sometimes can be a man among boys, if you will. Uh, he is the kind of guy who, with his speed and vision and ability, that he can make opposition players look foolish, but... Sometimes that means that leads him down the garden path where he makes a play that maybe he makes that extra pass, maybe he makes that extra stick handle uh, that could lead to a breakaway against or a you know, backdoor tap in for someone else. So uh, I think same thing. Pascal sees a lot of, lot of uh, strong development, but uh, he reiterated that, I mean, this is not punishment. I mean, it's important for Niku if he's not going to be playing uh, you know, more than... 12 to 14 minutes in the NHL right now for him to be playing 20 plus and to be on the power play one and maybe get some penalty killing time. It's important for his overall skill development. And the thing that I've been telling people on social media that have been freaking out uh, about the fact that Niku's not with the Jets yet uh, is that they're trying to get him to work in his defensive game more. We know that he's working on it and I totally understand. I mean, the Jets could use a lot of the qualities that, that Niku brings to the table and, uh, I think one of the things the organization is is cognizant of is that 
they want him when he comes up the next time to come up for good not not just to come up play five games and go back but when Sammy Niku comes up the next time they want him to not only come to the Jets but stay with the Jets and and be a regular in the lineup and uh, I mean the fact that Lucas Spiza has it's obviously different skill sets. Uh, Spiza has provided some stability. I mean, I can understand why folks would want Niku to, to hop into the lineup uh, right now, but I think that the Jets have had success with the lineup they've had. That doesn't mean they shouldn't try Niku. I personally think that it won't be a whole lot longer, but uh, the other thing too, I think Niku got banged up in the game last night, so we'll, we'll wait for a, a health update on him, but... Uh, I do think the time is coming. I've said this a few times now, but I think we're getting closer to seeing Sammy Niku. But for the time being, uh, as someone who covered the American League for a decade, uh, there have been plenty of players that spent more time than Sammy Niku has in the minors uh, that ended up coming up and, and were real impact players. And I still expect that Niku will become a regular for the Jets and uh, and allow a lot of those uh, free-flowing skills to uh, come to the forefront the way that we saw them at times last year uh, when the injuries uh, in some ways forced him into the lineup, but he handled himself pretty well in that role. Well, uh, we're going to cut it here or close to here anyways. Can you know I'm a Sami Niku proponent? Uh, mm-hmm. But there's a story, uh, there's, a, there's a moment that, that I'll share just on the second half of this about something that I saw in his game that surprised me and honestly not in a great way uh, at the AHL level when I started watching him this season there. Uh, but we'll get into that in a moment. And one of the most fun things to do as well, just as I you know, will rant fervently about Sami Niku, uh, both good and bad, we'll also get into our bold predictions for the season so far, though things we've been right and wrong about. And there's nothing more fun, I think, sometimes than realizing you were wrong about something and trying to wonder, like, what was I thinking? Or or maybe why was I wrong? Maybe the thoughts were thought process was good. So it's, it's fun to, to get into that as well. We made those bold predictions at the start of the year, ranging from uh, offensive breakout performances to Dustin Bufflin to playoffs and all of those sorts of things. So that'll be coming up in the full version of the board pass available to, to, to subscribers and um, so please in the meantime rate and subscribe uh, to the boarding pass on Apple if you click our show URL theathletic.com slash boarding pass that'll get you a 40% off promotion on your the athletic subscription and if you want to hear the extended version of this podcast where Ken and I talk about all of those things you're gonna have to have that subscription to the athletic because that's where the full version gets posted For Ken Weeb, I'm Murata Tesh. Thank you so much for listening to The Boarding Pass.